You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. So today we are launching a brand new series in church. Um, We're going to be unpacking this over the next little while. We're calling it The Pursuit of God. The Pursuit of God. And so we're going to be going on this journey uh, together as as a church. And this is something that actually God laid on my heart right at the start of the year. But we felt like right now is the the right time for us to unpack this as a church. It's something we're going to be exploring as a whole church. All five locations, both in Sunday services, uh, perhaps through our life groups, in in our own personal journeys. And and I think it's, it's always a good idea that we understand the pursuit of God. But actually, as we go on a journey as, as a whole church in our pursuit of God, I think there's something really special about doing it as we approach our RISE conference at the end of next month. That actually, because RISE is all about that. Yes, is that there's something special about gathering. And part of the purpose, we host a conference like RISE for the whole church and for friends from around the country. I had a pastor from Birmingham this morning saying, I will be at RISE conference. People traveling from London, down from Scotland. But primarily, it's a family gathering. A family gathering of Influence Church where we all come together. So because it's family, it won't be the same without you. It's like, you know, when you gather people and, you, and your long lost brothers and sisters and that cousin that you haven't seen for a while and that weird uncle that lives in Workington, he's going to come to Rise Conference. I'm not talking about Pastor Nate Reynolds. Um, but it, there's the gathering. That's one side of what we do. But actually more important than the gathering is the pursuit. That's it, that it's us as a whole church coming together to pursue God, to pursue an encounter with him. So what better time as we prepare for Rise Conference than as a whole church go on this journey of how do I pursue God? What does it mean in my life to pursue the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? The word pursue means this. It means to follow closely, to chase after, to strive to gain something or to seek to attain something. To follow, to chase, to strive, and to seek. Now, physically speaking, we all get the idea of pursuing or chasing after something. I was reminded last week we were at an anniversary anniversary dinner for a a schools and youth charity uh, that uh, myself, Gail, Pastor Soph, Johnny, a few of us were involved in um, for, for many, many years called Pays. And I was reminded of a story of something, a pursuit that I was involved in that had fallen out of my memory. I'm not quite as, um, let's say, seasoned as David Foster, but I do have some of those times. Of, oh, yeah, I forgot that happened in my life. We were in Manchester. This is probably 20 years ago now. We were in Manchester for a conference, and we were gathered. There was probably about 100, 120 uh, youth and schools workers. Myself and Gail were overseeing teams of, of, of youth teams from around the country, and we would gather a few times a year in Manchester for a training conference. So we had all these young adults, and we'd gather in a church and help uh, equip and train uh, missionaries and youth workers and schools workers. And we're in the middle of a leadership training seminar uh, when the pastor of the church, who also happened to run the organization, we're part of Paul Gibbs. Some of you will remember him. He's preached here a number of times. Paul Gibbs runs into the back of this seminar, bursts the door open, says, I need 20 blokes now. And of course, you don't think you're about 20 years old. You just jump up and say, I am needed. Men are needed. So we ran downstairs, and the conference center, the church that we were using, was in a less than desirable part of Manchester, shall we say. Some of you know glamorous Manchester. Some of you know the back streets of Manchester. This was the back of the back streets of Manchester. And uh, and we were, 20 of us raced down the stairs out of this seminar. And it just said, 
chase those people. So we're like, okay. So we started this pursuit. We started this chase. Along the way, we found out the information of why we were running down a canal in Manchester. That in the car park of this less than desirable area, some crime had taken place. We can't remember if either somebody was glassed or a car was smashed or a car was stolen. There was something, and they sent 20 of us running after these Manchester scallies down a canal. On the pursuit, we started to think, what happens if we catch up to them? Nobody told us an end goal. Now, thankfully, that not only was their crime greater than ours, but their speed was greater than ours. And so they completely outrun us. And we went back to our seminar thinking, well, that was a strange occurrence, wasn't it? And then somebody had to get back up. Like preaching after David Foster was offering door, somebody had to carry on a seminar and say, leadership principle number three. <laughs> we're all like this sweaty mess of kind of angry men and angry about that we don't know what, but we're a part of this pursuit. And so, but here's the thing, well, we understand something about the physical aspect of chasing, of pursuing. Let me go to that, back to that description again. To pursue, and we're talking about pursuing God, not scallies. To pursue means to follow closely, to chase after, to strive to gain something, or to seek to attain. And here's the thing about our pursuit. Pursuit always requires something from us. You can't be a, a sat back, reclining pursuer. A pursuit requires something from us. I want to read you this um, scripture that many of you will be familiar with from the context of prayer, and rightly so. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, which is a really powerful scripture. It says, if my people who are called by my name. So this is God speaking to the, to the generation at the time, to the followers at the time. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now here's the scripture, many of you will know these, these verses, and here's a scripture that is packed full of some really good stuff. Like all scripture, the Bible tells us, is God-breathed. All scripture is beneficial for us. But not every one verse is quite as jam-packed as this verse. Not every one verse has so many clear encouragements and um, instructions for us. Not every verse is as easy to follow where it's laid out with some clear application points. Not every verse in Scripture is as easy for us to understand. But this verse has so much. It's got guidance. It's got instruction. It's got inspiration. It's got encouragement. It's got promises from the Word of God, all squeezed into one verse of Scripture. So there's so much stuff in here, but before you get into the guidance or the instructions or the application points or even the promises that God gives us at the end, the verse starts with a question. It says, if my people who are called by my name. And so right at the beginning, before you access the inspiration, the application, the promises, there's a choice of whether you align yourself with this scripture or not. There's, a, there's an option. It's, it's not compulsory. It doesn't bombard you with stuff and just say, this is who you are, and this is what you have to do. No matter what you feel, no matter what you think about it, it's compulsory. It says, if. There's a question right at the beginning of our involvement. There's a choice. There's a personal decision involved. And so in that if, there's a choice for us to come in alignment with Scripture. 
See, there's different, different things you can do when you read the Word of God, when you read Scripture. You can acknowledge Scripture and say, okay, I see it, I read it, I hear it, I understand it. That's something. It's good to acknowledge what is said in Scripture. That's why it's important that we, we don't just hear, hear Scripture when we're in church, but we pursue God through our Bible reading every day, whether you use different reading plans, whether you do some things like the Discipleship Hub, whatever it means, it's important for us to acknowledge Scripture. It, it's really good to admire Scripture and say, I just love how the Word of God puts it. I just love those promises. I love those instructions. That's so helpful to me. That's so rich. But acknowledgement and admiration is still different to the power of alignment, where you read something and you say, I'm coming in line with what the Bible teaches here. I'm not just on the outside saying, okay, I see what you've done there, and I like what you did there, but actually it's a choice to say, okay, I see it, I acknowledge it, I admire it, and I'm bringing my life into alignment with what the Word of God says. There's always a choice for us on on which side of that we stand, whether we just admire and acknowledge or whether we bring our life into alignment with Scripture. Because no matter how many times you come to church, that doesn't make you a Christian. No matter how many sermons you listen to and how many podcasts you devour and how many um, discipleship hub videos you, you consume, it doesn't make you the perfect Disciple. It doesn't matter how many times you are in a time of worship that hasn't necessarily made you a worshiper. Because Christianity is not just about our presence in the room. It's not just our punctuality at the services. Real Christianity is about the pursuit of God. Not just your attendance at a service, not just your reading of Scripture, but how you bring your life in alignment with these things will determine how, how fast, like David was talking about, how fast the race that you run. Whether you strive after that one thing or whether you sit on, on the side saying, yeah, I see it, I admire it, I acknowledge it, I attend it sometimes, or whether I bring myself into alignment. In that way, our pursuit of God really takes traction really starts to take form and we bring our lives in line with those things. It's about how you choose to seek God and make him a priority in your life. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 21 says it this way, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. So it doesn't matter about whatever whoever else is doing, it's about our personal pursuit of God. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. It's not not about comparison. It's not about what that person is doing. I'm trying to be more like that person, and they're doing it like this. It's about you. Sometimes we're so concerned with other people's pursuit that we've taken our eyes off our own journey. We're so bothered gossiping about somebody else or encouraging somebody else even that we're actually taking our eyes of ourselves. of, well, what's my pursuit like? Not my husband, my wife, my kids, my life group leader, my life group member. What about me? What about my journey with God? What about my pursuit of the things of God? What, what shape is my pursuit in? Because it's our personal pursuit that matters. And so we're going to go on this journey over the next few weeks of looking at different things that can help each of us in our personal pursuit as we choose to align ourselves more with God. And today, on, as Pastor Sov's already said, today is Pentecost Sunday. And so what better place to start in terms of the pursuit of God in helping us to understand more on Pentecost Sunday about the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Pentecost Sunday is, is the day in the Christian calendar that we remember the day that the Holy Spirit came on the church. Just like we, we have read and will read in a moment in the book of Acts, around seven weeks after Easter Sunday, we remember that not only did Jesus rise again that we celebrated seven weeks ago, but he came, he spent time with his disciples, and then after his ascension to heaven, God did what he had promised to do and sent the Holy Spirit upon the church. And so that's what we celebrate in the Christian calendar on Pentecost Sunday. For many people, they call it the birthday of the church. And I love that. It's the birthday of the church because actually the church just wasn't about the ministry of Jesus because the birth of the church didn't happen until Jesus had ascended to heaven because God had a purpose that he was outworking through his son through those 33 years and particularly through Jesus, three years of ministry on earth. But God's purposes then came upon the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That it wasn't just about something to where we look back like we've heard earlier, but actually there was something that was going forward. That God's purposes were just starting a whole new season and the church couldn't begin until the Holy Spirit came. Now they gathered before. There were services, if you like, before. We don't know what those look like, but we know that they, the disciples and the apostles, they were gathered together in the upper room. So there was a, there was a gathering and yet there hadn't yet been a birth. Because the birth of the church only came when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. And as much as that perhaps should be a a reason to have cake in church today, it isn't. Unless you've brought cake. In which case, share it. We'll believe for a feeding of the 5,000 miracles. And actually, you've only got about the feeding of the 150. So if you brought cake, fantastic. But actually, perhaps a better celebration. If that's not heresy to talk about something better than cake. It's perhaps a better celebration than cake is for us to discover for ourselves the truth of what happened, and the truth that is still happening today through the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. So go, go with me in your Bibles. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. For those of you who are still stuck on the cake, just move on from the cake. We're getting into the Word of God this morning. We read just four verses at the start of Acts chapter 2 that captures for us this moment in history and the moment that is still making history today. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, when we read scripture like this, we're going, we're going back in history. We're going back almost 2,000 years. We celebrate that, that Jesus um, was born 2000, uh, 2,023 years ago. We know he lived on earth for 33 years. So I know there's some fantastic, actually, Pentecostal celebrations that are planned for 10 years from now in 2033 when we celebrate uh, 2,000 years since the first ever day of Pentecost. But we're 10 years short of that, but we're not 10 years short of having an encounter with God because he's still present and he's still moving. But we're celebrating and we're remembering and we're reading Something that happened, yes, in history, but something that is still part of our story today. That we don't read this just as a tradition of something that happened. This isn't just a celebration of an anniversary. It's an acknowledgement and an alignment 
that God still moves in the church today by the power of his Holy Spirit. That God didn't just move then, but he moves right now. That he wasn't just active then, he's active right now. He didn't just change lives then, but he's changing lives today. That we can come into alignment and an understanding that God is still present and still powerful. That this is not just a story, this is part of our story. Those of you who've been in church for a while remember about this time last year we ran a series from Acts chapter 2 but later in this chapter and we called it This Is Us. And we said this is still the story of the church being told, that we're still part of this church. And we looked at some of those great principles that is in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to, to prayer, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And we talked about how this is still our story. That Pentecost is not just something that happened, but it's happening. It's not just a tradition. It's not just a celebration. It's an acknowledgement and alignment that God still moves in his church today through the power of the Holy Spirit. I read something fantastic I want to show you. Uh, This is from a pastor called um, Tim Hall in Adelaide in Australia. And I thought this captured something really key for us about Pentecost. It says, the very first church in history, Acts chapter 2, we've just read, the very first church in history was Pentecostal. There was no alternative or plan B. You couldn't leave the early church to be in a non-Pentecostal church. That didn't exist. They were all Pentecostal. Therefore, Pentecostalism is not the fringe of Christianity. It's the New Testament pattern of Christianity. Come on, there's gold in those words right now. That actually we're part of something that from the very beginning of the church was God's pattern and God's purpose for the church. And whenever we see a pattern in Scripture, it's there for a reason. When we see a pattern in Scripture, it's there for us to play our part in that pattern. You know, when you think about patterns from a, from a fashion point of view, some, some patterns you really like, you come up with somebody and you see them and you see Adam and Gregory in church and you go, whew, I'd like to look a little bit more like that. I need to up my game a little bit. Where'd you get those patterns from? Where'd you get that shit? I need, I need some of that. And then you see other people in church and I'm not going to close my eyes and point out anybody. And you, and you walk up to them in church and you say, I'm glad I don't look like that. And you turn the other way and you go and you go, hey, wait, where'd you get that pattern from? Where'd you get those clothes from? I'll remember never to shop there again. And you walk in the other direction. I'm not pointing any fingers, so it's not you. Don't worry. Feel convicted? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. This so, but that's not how we read the Bible. That we walk up to somebody and go, I like that. I want to know more about that. And we go up to other verses and go, I don't really get that. So I'm just going to turn away and go in, in the other. When we see a biblical pattern... It's something that we can benefit from. It's something that we can learn from. It's something that we can be equipped and empowered by if we align ourselves with that pattern. But sometimes we've acknowledged things of the Holy Spirit. Say, I hear what you're saying, and it's okay for that person, and it's all right for that person over there, and they're a bit strange, so it's definitely okay for that person, but I'm going to stay over here on this side. But we have a choice today, church, of whether we acknowledge, whether we admire, or whether we align. Whether we say, okay, if this is the biblical pattern, I want to bring my life into alignment with that pattern. See, these biblical patterns are here for our guidance, for our equipping, for our empowerment, for our instruction. And it's an example for us to follow in our pursuit of God. That if we're going to take seriously the the opportunity that we have, the choice that we have to be someone who pursues or not, then a pattern to follow is something really helpful for those who want to pursue. 
getting into the Word of God and bringing our lives into alignment with that is really helpful to help us in our pursuit. So let's go right back to just that first verse of the passage that we read here in this, in this biblical pattern for the church right from 2,000 years ago. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that it's a bit of an oversimplification. Of course, if they were all together, they were in one place. It's like all the Christians came to Influence Church, and when we went inside, there they were. You're like, I know that from the first bit that you said, that the Christians had gone to the church. So, of course, they were found in the church. But actually, that when you, when you delve into, and many of you will have done this, you know that there's actually something more than, than that simple service level. It's not just about they were together and they were together. Another, script, another translation of the scripture, the New King James Version, says that all the believers were together in one accord. They were together, yes, there was a physical gathering, we read about that, that they had gathered in the upper room of this house. Just as Jesus had instructed them to do, they'd gathered to wait for something, to wait for the power that would come through the Holy Spirit. So there was a gathering of the people, but there was also something about their one accord that was really important. It wasn't just about the gathering. There was something greater going on here than just the gathering. They were all together in one accord, which meant they were not only united in body, but they were united in heart and in mind. You see, when they gathered here in Acts chapter 2, it wasn't just about the place. It was about the pursuit. It was about the pursuit of when they gathered here, they came for a purpose. And their purpose was to seek God. Their purpose to have, was to have an encounter with God. Their purpose was to wait for what Jesus had promised. Physically, they're in the same place, but spiritually, they were also in the same place. That they'd come with a pursuit in mind. They'd come with seeking God in mind. And wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be amazing if we could say the same thing about us? Not just about today, this service, but whenever we gathered in church, wouldn't it be amazing if we could say, hey, we were all together in one place and we were in one accord. There was one pursuit. Everybody was focused on this one thing to have an encounter with God. That would be an amazing thing for us to be able to claim as a church. And we've got the first part right because you're here this morning. Now, yes, there's some random people gone to Germany, and there's some terrible people that have gone on holiday, on a bank holiday weekend, like just ridiculous. But we have gathered the faithful, the loyal, the true. Don't tell them I said that about them. So there's something that we've done right, okay? So we've, we've gathered together. We are, we are the believers. We've gathered. We're in church this morning. But if we're honest, sometimes we don't always get the second part right, We've come together in one place, but perhaps we haven't come with one pursuit this morning because we've all got stuff that's going on and we've all got great things and terrible things. and We've all got things that we're thinking about and that we're planning and that we're distracted by. So many different distractions come and we're trying to pursue the things of God. We're in one place, but we're not always in the same thing. So, so Luke is here this morning. Thank you, Luke, for coming to church this morning. So great that Luke is in church, but he's already thinking about the football from last week, thinking, oh, did I choose the right team? I belong to Richmond. I played for alternative team. But Richmond won, so is it my victory? Is it not? He's here, but is he pursuing God this morning? Grace has obviously had an issue because she sat behind Luke. Now, Grace, is, Grace is in church this morning, but, but Grace is training to be a police officer. She's, so she's looking around thinking, I'd love to arrest them, and I'd love to arrest them. And I wonder if they've done something wrong that I could arrest them for. And so, so we're here, 
but we're not always pursuing, right? We're present, but we're not always in, in one accord of these things. Because Gifson's here this morning from, from Bishop Auckland, and Gifson did a wonderful job playing the bass for us this morning. But, but Gifson is here, but maybe he's not thinking just about the bass, and he's not pursuing God. He's thinking, if I go on that ride at the fair, would I die? And it looks impressive, but I'm not sure. He's got to play bass in the evening service in Bishop Auckland. What if he dies on the fairground ride, and then he lets down Pastor Dan and Hoyle? So he's here, but maybe he's not present. Mary's here. We're thankful that Mary's here. But you just know that she's thinking, Barnard Castle is a much better church than this Richmond church. And uh, you know that's running through her mind. And so we don't always get it right. We're present. We've gathered. But there's a difference that we came to a service Or are we seeking an encounter with God? It can be two different things. It shouldn't be. And maybe I'm doing these great people a terrible disservice because they're here ready to receive from God this morning, serving on worship teams and also, and maybe, and hopefully I'm doing them a a disservice. But we can be in a service without seeking. We can be in one place, but not always be in one accord. But Acts chapter 2, when we read about the church, it wasn't just about their location, It was about the expectation that they had for a move of God. There was something about when they came together and said, God's going to do something today. We're ready. Jesus promised it. We're waiting. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we're waiting. We're ready. There was a unity in their expectancy. They were all together in one place. They were all together in one accord. And what happened when they gathered is that they were expectant for the promise that Jesus had given to them. See, we see many times in, in the gospel accounts and even in the, in the first chapter of Acts, promises that we have from God or through Christ for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come upon the church. Jesus said, John chapter 14, he said, the Father will send another advocate, another counselor who will help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Acts chapter 1, just one chapter earlier when Jesus appeared to them in his final instructions after his resurrection, just before his ascension to heaven, one of the final things he said to the church was to promise them this. It says, wait for the gift that my father has promised. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So holding on to these promises that Jesus had given when he was teaching the disciples and that he had spoken to the early church, those who had gathered in those upper rooms, they were promised to wait. They gathered but with an expectation. They gathered with a readiness in their hearts. John chapter 20, verse 21, after his resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So their equipping to be the church would come through this. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus was desperate for the disciples to know that when he left this earth, he wouldn't leave them alone. And that for us as believers, us as disciples, us as followers of Christ today, in our individual pursuit of God, he's desperate for us to know that you don't have to do this on your own. That you don't have to try and do it in your own strength because there's another counselor, another comforter, the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to us today. It's as available to us today in Richmond in 2023 as it was in Israel in 2,000 years ago. The power of the Holy Spirit was the promise that Jesus gave to the church. And here's the thing. Not only was the Holy Spirit God's gift to the church, the Holy Spirit was God's goal for the church. 
wasn't just a gift of, here, have this if you want it. There was a desperate longing that we would grab hold of this gift. There was a desperation from God through his son that we wouldn't try and go through life on our own, that we wouldn't try and just go and squeeze our Christianity into a traditional box, into a traditional pattern, but that we would know the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives, not just as a gift, but as a goal for the church. It's God's desire for every one of us that we would know his presence, that we would know his purposes, And then we know his power at work in our lives. And so what greater way to start a pursuit of God than to say, I'm pursuing more of his power through the Holy Spirit. That I would know him more in my life. Because if we try and exist as a Christian without the Holy Spirit, it's totally possible. It's totally possible for you to function in, in life, function in your Christian journey, but it's function without the fullness. It's the function of a Christian and yet not the fullness of what Jesus promised. Because you know the verse, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you, that's you and I as believers, is I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. Part of the fullness that Jesus was promising us part of the fullness that he was making available to us, part of the fullness of the gift that would be given is that we would know the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we wouldn't just go through with function, but that we would know the fullness by being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Bible teaches that when we accept Christ into our life, the Holy Spirit already comes into our life. He, he comes, but also teaches us that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like the believers were gathered, they already had a relationship with God. They already had a pursuit of God, but something incredible happened when the Holy Spirit came on upon the church. And something incredible can happen when we open up our lives and say, God, I don't want just function. I want the fullness of everything you've got for me. I want to be filled to overflowing with the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. The other day, I was um, setting up a new phone for Gail. Going on mission to Germany, got to have a good phone. Her phone was dying along the way. She's like, I need a battery that lasts more than seven and a half minutes. And I said, we're going to Tesco. So I was setting up her her new iPhone, and it reminded me of of kind of the first time uh, I set up an iPhone. I was back in the day, some of you will know, back in the day, bit of an Apple geek. Bit of an Apple geek, bit of, a, bit of an early adapter. So, you know, you get like early adapters and late adapters, and some people never adapt to change. I was very much on the early scale of those things. I, I, I was a geek, but I wasn't a rich geek. So I couldn't get on the first of the edition of the iPhone because I couldn't afford that. I got in on the second edition. But a bit of a geek back in the day, and Pastor Rich isn't here to back me up because he was one of those geeks at the time. Uh, Pastor Johnny is still here, and he is still a geek. And so he, he received it with the grace that it was meant and I remember when I was setting up that phone, and, and some of you, you pull out your phone. You got a, oh, I haven't got mine with me. If you've got a phone with you, pull out your phone today. If you've got a, a smartphone of some, some variety, we don't, we don't need to put your cameras on. This is not like, and we're not getting into some debates us about Apple and Android. I can see that's the way you're trying to go on, on that side. And, and despite saying not torches, I can see torches appearing right around the room. But, but, but on your phone, 
You've got the ability to do all sorts of things. It has the function, of course, of the basic things that phones do. Uh, if you have, still have a Nokia brick phone that does nothing else, then you can probably still, hopefully, just about make a phone call on your phone. If your phone, call no, lo if your phone no longer makes phone calls, it's time for an upgrade. And I'm not your friendly Tesco mobile uh, advertiser. I'm just suggesting that for you. And, and so, so you've got basic functions on your phone. And the first iPhone, the iPhone that is you know, known, and I'm not, no debate on your Android things, but known as the all singing, all dancing phone that you can do all of these different things. But the first iPhone that came out had some wonderful features. It was revolutionary for the day that you could make calls and go on the internet and listen to music on the phone. But now our phones, that's like the basics. Most standard smartphones do those things. They take pictures, they go on the internet, they, you can listen to music and make phone calls and text messages. But what it didn't have is what most of us now know as, as the app store, where you can get all those other ridiculous apps that distract you in the sermons because you're playing some flappy bird game or whatever, or something much more culturally relevant. Uh, it didn't come with those features. You couldn't do that. And so when I first got an iPhone, it made calls, it made texts, it, it played music, but no... Social media, no WhatsApp, no YouTube, no games, no news apps, no Bible app. None of these things that, we, that many of us use those functions every single day. It wasn't, it wasn't available. And some of you can't fathom, you're like, wow, a history lesson in church. Not only Acts chapter 2, but an iPhone without apps. This is like revolutionary. Some of you never knew life like this. But for every one of those very smartphones that you've got now that can do a million different things, you could... Ignore all of that and say, this is my iPhone 14. I use it to make phone calls. And you're like, well, good on you. But that's, that's just one function. It's capable of, of so much more, and yet you're using it for something that's just so basic. And at some point, they introduced the App Store, and suddenly you could go, wow, a million different ways to waste my time. Wonderful. But for many of those things, you use those functions every day, some for distraction, some for fun, some for productivity, some for work. And all of those things you could ignore and say, well, this is the phone. It makes phone calls. But it's, it's able to do so much more. The fullness of the phone, and please don't think that I'm just some iPhone salesman up here this morning. The fullness of the phone is able to do so much more than what you were using it for if you just use it to make a phone call and send the occasional text message. It would still function, but it missed the fullness. The Holy Spirit helps us to have access to the fullness of everything that God desires for us. That we don't just go through the basics, that we don't just go through the motions, but actually we know something fuller than anything we could have ever achieved in our own ability. Because you can achieve in your own strength, attendance at church every week, you can read the Bible every day, you can sing a song, you can say a prayer, and yet feel like there's no life. There's no fullness. There's nothing supernatural that's going on. Well, it's because we're going through the natural motions, but we're not aligning ourselves with the supernatural power that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We haven't got time to study this morning, but obviously the Bible goes on and talks about some of the great things that happened through the Spirit being at work in our life. Some of this fullness that God intended for us, Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit in Bible terms is always the things that we want, the things that we need, the benefits of those things. So having knowing the fruit of the Spirit in things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. We haven't got time to go into everything else. 1 Corinthians 12 talks to us about the gifts of the Spirit. That not only can we know the, the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit at work in our life that we can know uh, the, the gift of wisdom, the gift of healing, that we can know about the gift of prophecy, that we can communicate with God in the heavenly language of tongues like the Bible talked to us about here in Acts chapter 2. These are the gifts of the Spirit. All of this is the fullness of what God desires for us. Not just the function of faith, but the fullness that is found, that we would know His joy and His peace that we would operate in those gifts, that we'd be able to communicate with him, not just in our, in, our, in our natural language, but in a supernatural language through speaking in tongues. And the more that we pursue God in our lives, the more we'll know his presence with us and his power at work in our lives. The more we pursue him, the more we'll know of these things. Let's just close our eyes this morning. In fact, why don't we stand? Sorry, I should have told you to do that first. Let's stand and let's close our eyes and let's just take a moment to reflect for ourselves in our pursuit, in your pursuit, in my pursuit, if my people who are called by my name. There's a choice, you see, of whether we stay on the outside or whether we come in alignment whether we stay in function or we say, God, I want to be filled so that I can know your fullness. And today is Pentecost Sunday. And we believe today, as a Pentecostal church, we believe that this is not just a tradition. It's not just a set of beliefs. It's not just a name upon a, a document of our church. But as a Pentecostal church, we believe that this could be your Pentecost Sunday. In verse 1 of that scripture, says they were all together in one accord. They're all together in one place. And it says, suddenly, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they were together. They were waiting. They were expectant. And then suddenly, God showed up. Suddenly, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the church. And, and too often, I think, we, we equate suddenly with, with shocking or unwelcome. A suddenly is not always something that we, we want in our lives. But this suddenly was what the church had been waiting for. This was the power that they had been praying for. This was the move of God that they had been believing for. And so the suddenly was welcomed in their life. Because here's what I need to make clear for you this morning. Because some of you are, are really seasoned in the things of God and the things of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are perhaps new to that. And I want to make really clear to you this morning, when we talk about suddenly, that the Holy Spirit will, will never and has never barged his way into somebody's life. Don't think suddenly and think, oh, I don't know if I want it. I don't know if I want a suddenly moment. That's fine. He doesn't barge his way into your life. That's never the way that God has 
worked. He doesn't force himself upon us. He waits to be invited. And the reason there was a suddenly upon that early church in Acts 2 is they were all waiting. They were all wanting and they were all willing for a move of God in their lives. And if that's you this morning, then we're going to pray that you would have a suddenly moment today. That if you are saying, God, I want to know you more. I want to know your power in my life. I want to know the fullness of your spirit at work in my life. We're going to pray right now that as you open yourselves and say, Holy Spirit, come, that there'll be a suddenly moment in your life. Let me give you this last scripture. Luke chapter 11. Jesus speaking. It says, if you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And So if you're not in a place this morning where, where you're wanting to ask, that's totally fine. There's no pressure. There's no coercion. But for those who this morning are willing, wanting, waiting for a move of the Holy Spirit in your life, then the Bible simply teaches us to ask. We're going to create an opportunity right now to ask as we worship again, to say, I'm not staying on the outside. I want to come in alignment. I want to know that power in my life. And so the guys are going to start to lead us in, in worship. And if that's you this morning, you're saying, okay, I'm ready for more. I'm waiting. I'm wanting. I'm longing for more of God in my life. Why don't you just come? We're going to open up the front here. And as a declaration of that intention to say, I'm not staying where I am, but I'm, we read that scripture earlier. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, as a, as a declaration of intent, why don't we draw near this morning as we come and as we gather here at the front, as we worship, we're just going to believe that God does what he says he will do. That when we come and we want and we wait, he is willing to pour out the fullness of his spirit and to fill us afresh. So let's worship and let's come to the altar this morning with a readiness to receive from him. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.